0: Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington. Morning worship at eleven, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at org. Thank you so much. I enjoy having the words up there as well. you know, think about the theme of that song for the twenty-third Psalm. I'm glad it was uh, Gary's turn to uh, announce the arrival of a new baby and have to approximate the size um, but whenever that happens Gary I'm sure you will be reminded as I am that a pound here or there and an inch here or there actually makes quite a bit of difference to the mother giving birth <laughs> so <laughs> and uh well we had a long delivery and uh we're so uh, thankful and pleased for the uh the new life and the uh God's blessing. You know, Lamu lost her mom uh, last year back in China. She was back there, she and Glenn. Her dad is here visiting uh, from China with her family right now. So we'll pray for uh, Gemma. Is it Gemma? Is that we got? And Lamu and Glenn and the Bowers family during this time and give God thanks. Also, with the time change we're an hour off. I realize that. and We're all adults here and we can handle it but my, my wife mentioned to me this morning we were talking about it. Yeah, but The nursery, the babies don't quite get that, so they're an hour off, and that's a big deal in the nursery, so we'll try and get out right on time today and help out our nursery and preschool staff. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us, your love for us. We pray as we open your word this morning that our hearts will be attuned to you, our focus will be on you, and we just pause to give you thanks for the freedom we have to come and worship as we please, to open your word, to share it, proclaim it, and to walk by it this week. Praise in Christ our Savior's name. Amen. Talk about uh, birth and new babies. And uh, when you're gone, when your life is over, how would you like your family and your friends to remember you? What phrase, what sentence, what caption would you like when your face comes to someone's mind that remembers you, what would you like them to think? I think of all my loved ones here that even are no longer with us today, and I can think of their faces, and the phrase comes to my mind, a thought, a characteristic of their walk with the Lord. How would you like to be remembered? How would you like to be remembered? We've been studying Moses together for the last uh, several weeks, and we are finished now in Sunday school. We are now in our electives. But uh, today and tomorrow we're going to have two more lessons in the life of Moses before we begin our Christmas series and our Advent lessons, which will last, of course, through the holidays. And um, as we think of Moses, the passage that actually came up, I think it was last week, and that was in chapter 12 of Numbers. And it was when the account where Miriam and Aaron, Moses' brother and sister, began to talk against him, the Bible says. They began to challenge his leadership. And uh, and and said, you know, hasn't the Lord spoken to us? Is he the only one? Sort of a sibling deal here, right? Uh, Miriam was his sister. Remember the story when Moses was born, of his sister who watched over him and brought him to the Pharaoh's daughter. It was an important part of his life. Aaron, who is the, going to be the first of the high priests of the, of the of the tribes of Israel, and it's all of a sudden this sort of sibling jealousy raises his head, and it's like. Hasn't God spoken to us too? Why is it all about Moses? And of course, uh, God got very angry with them and punished them. And they had to repent and acknowledge that. But in the middle of that story, in verse 3, in my Bible, in the NIV, it has parentheses, which of course are not there in the Hebrew, but it is a sort of a parenthetical thought. When they, when they say this about, about Moses, it says in verse 3 of chapter 12, Now Moses was a very humble man. More humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. And then the story goes on. And you think of that, Moses, we learn later on, he remembers a man who knew God face to face. But here it says that Moses was the most humble man on the face of the earth. That's how he's remembered. This man who was such a leader, this man who had through God's power, that God had done so many amazing miracles. And this man who who God spoke face to face, as it were, who saw the very presence of God, who heard the very voice of God, was the most humble man over the entire earth. Humility is such an important godly character. We see this in the New Testament as well. We see this about our Lord Jesus Christ. He said, I came not to be served, but to serve and became the servant leader. And humility is something that a quality, a characteristic that God desires from all of his people, and especially those in leadership, humbleness. Today's, our lesson is from Numbers chapter 27. Last week, we considered the event in Moses' life where he and Aaron sinned in the striking of the rock, and I appreciated the, some of the interest you had and some of the comments we talked about afterward about that. And um, I suggested to you that, however we cut it, that at some point, especially according to Psalms, that, that his sin was in his the words he spoke, and the words he spoke that suggested that he was going to do this miracle as opposed to putting emphasis on God. Whatever it was, it was so severe that we come to this again, and it picks up again in chapter 27. Well, we move past where we were last week, and in verse 12, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go up this mountain in the Abiram range, and see the land I have given the Israelites. Now, we're going to have a little pause here, because we're actually going to have a lot more um, dialogue. Then we're going to go into the book. We're not going to, but the story goes into the book of Deuteronomy. And then Moses finally gets to go up and see the land. But he's looking ahead here about what's going to happen. He says, I want you to see the land. After you have seen it, you too will be gathered to your people as your brother Aaron was. Aaron has died. For when the community rebelled at the waters of the desert of Zin, both of you disobeyed my command to honor me as holy before their eyes. These were the waters of Meraba, Kadesh, in the desert of Zin. So that's where we were last week. And we considered this uh, event in Moses' life and the proclamation, "You will not go in the promised land." As I mentioned to you in Deuteronomy, Moses reminds the people, "I beg God to change His mind." Uh, he begged God, "Let me let me just step foot in that promised land." And God said, uh, "You can't do it, and don't bring this up anymore. We're not going to talk about this. It was that severe." So in verse 15, Moses, and let's just read through this account. Moses said to the Lord, "May the Lord." The God of the spirits of all mankind appoint a man over this community to go out and come in before them. One who will lead them out and bring them in so the Lord's people will not be like sheep without a shepherd. So the Lord said to Moses, take Joshua, son of Nun, a man in whom the spirit is his spirit. Lay your hand on him. Have him stand before Eleazar the priest and the entire assembly and commission him "...in their presence. Give him some of your authority, so the whole Israelite community will obey him. He is to stand before Eliezer the priest, who will obtain decisions for him by inquiring of the Urim before the Lord. At his command, he and the entire community of the Israelites will go out, and at his command, they will come in. And Moses did as the Lord commanded him. He took Joshua and had him stand before Eliezer the priest and the whole assembly then he laid his hands on him and commissioned him as the Lord instructed him through as the Lord instructed through Moses. I'd like to consider this account this morning in application to some principles for God's people and leadership and uh, even for us I think even today as the all Bible is given to us for understanding instruction and training in righteousness. The humbleness and the wisdom of Moses. Here we have an experienced leader this man has had a lot of experience. He started this journey when he was over, he was 80 years old, 40 years in Pharaoh's court, 40 years in the desert leading the flocks for his father-in-law, back to Egypt and 40 years bringing the people through uh, Sinai on the way to the Promised Land. Oftentimes this period of Israel's time is referred to as the wandering of, the, of Israel in the desert and it sort of indicates that maybe they were kind of lost, you know, and were wandering around. The fact of the matter is, you could find your way out of the Sinai Peninsula in 40 years. I guarantee you. If you know which way is north, you could get out of there. Okay? Um, it's not so much they were just lost. It's that they were not allowed to leave. God says, you're not leaving. You are here until this generation dies, that I will lead you into the promised land. And that was the, the verdict for their sinfulness and rebellion at Kadesh Barnea, when they refused to take the land as God told them they could, except for Joshua and Caleb. were the only ones who were going to be allowed to go into the promised land. Moses has all this experience. He is an experienced leader. He has seen the ups and downs. He has seen his people rebel. He has seen God forgive them. He has seen God do miracles. He has seen God lead the way. He has had this experience with God. And God has brought this leader in Israel's story. And again, I was trying to remind you that for, for, for Judaism today, Moses is such a revered character and for good reason, he was the leader who brought them to the promised land. He was the one that God used to, to, to accomplish this, to accomplish their freedom. If not they would have been they would have been destroyed. they would never they would never would have made it out of Sinai. they would have been destroyed if God had not used him to bring them to this point. And here is a man who looks at what God has done, he looks at where the new generation is going and he knows what they need. He knows what God's people need. And his, his humility, to me, this is an amazing thing. When I think of some of the other leaders in the Bible, like King Saul, King Solomon, and from King Solomon on, the list of kings, both in the north and the south, who were, who were the shepherds of Israel. And how precious few we could call godly men, beginning with Solomon, going back to Saul. We look at the, at the judges. We look at Samson. We look at even Gideon's disbelief at times, and we and we see the leaders, these leaders of God's people, and 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 here is a man who just who stands out for his godliness, his wisdom, and his humility. That he would even at this point, he is not dead yet, and he is not going to die yet. We have the rest of Numbers and we have the entire book of Deuteronomy. Um, it's not a lot of time chronologically, but we have lots of material here. And yet at this point, you notice it's Moses who brings us to God. God doesn't say to Moses, "Moses, it's time for you to consider now." Who um, who we who who I'm going to? Moses approaches God in verse 15. Moses said to the Lord. Lord, may the Lord, and he addresses him in his honor, may the God who gives breath, who gives spirit to all mankind, Lord, would you please, would you appoint a man over this community to go out and come in before them, one who will lead them out and bring them in so the Lord's people will not be like sheep without a shepherd. And the humility of Moses here. Really, to me, comes to the forefront in his approach to God is that God is time. Would, would you please not leave these people without a leader? Don't don't leave these people when when I'm gone, wandering and not knowing who to follow, who is going to lead them. Lord, you you choose a man, and you choose one who will have the heart that that I have had to shepherd these people, and who will lead them, and that they can follow. You know what Moses is focusing on here. It's the Lord's work, and this is the thing that sets him apart. This is not, this is not a normal, always human characteristic, a human trait, even in leadership. That, what Moses is saying is, what really matters is not me, it's God's work. This is what matters. And Moses says, I am willing to step aside, and I'm willing God, and I'm asking you, you need to bring someone along now who, who is going to help lead these people and I love this phrase. He looks at it and says, I don't want these people to be like sheep without a shepherd. You know, it is interesting as I thought about this, um, in the book of Acts, as the Apostle Paul is, um, is making his journey down to Jerusalem, and he gathers the, the elders of he gathers the elders at Ephesus together and he, he, he brings them together to to prepare them for his leaving. And he he has trained these people. He has appointed these elders he has taught them. He has lived with them. He lived three years with these people. And he's, he's going through the area and his way down and, he, and he, he calls the elders together in Acts chapter 20. And they come actually, they come to, to, to meet Paul outside of Ephesus. And they come to meet him on the coast. And he says to them, I have served the Lord with great humility and with tears. He, he's walked in the footsteps of Moses. I've, I've, I've served you with humbleness and with I've wept over you. I've wept over these churches. I have cried at night over what's going on and what's the challenges you're facing and what's going to happen. Paul, he wept in prayer over these people. How often have we wept in prayer over God's people and God's work? In verse 28, he says to these elders, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock, and he uses this language of shepherding, all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Shepherd the church of God. Elders in this church. And as we begin a new year in our elder board, and the people I serve with, the pastors and leaders in this church, God has called us to be shepherds. And Paul's heart here is keep watch over yourselves And over the flock of God, this is the house of God that He bought with His very own blood. These are God's people, and the leadership is very important. The leadership of God's church is very. The young people here, some of you that God are, God is laying on your heart, pastoring, going into this this ministry, and um, and and we want to encourage you those that those that are, because it's a very important it's a very important ministry. And, and God has called us to shepherd and to have humbleness and, and use this language that, that Moses uses and that Paul uses. And Moses back in Numbers 27, God, don't let these people be like a flock without a shepherd, but point somebody, the humblest man on the face of the earth. And so we have Joshua. Joshua, who is, who is called by God to step forward. And God said, God responds to Moses. Moses doesn't say to him, God, have you considered Joshua? God responds to Moses. And the Lord said to Moses, verse 18, Take Joshua, son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand on him. And later on it tells us that he does this. He lays his hands. Interesting. This phrase here for, for lay your hand on him. You know, we've, we've done this. We've had uh, commissioning ceremonies in our fellowship where we uh, commission, uh, people in the ministry. And sometimes even here we had a young lady we prayed for. Uh, a few weeks ago, we sent people out and we'll put our hands maybe on. But the word here, and the rabbis make a point of this, that, that the word here is this act of samach. Of samach, it means really to lean on somebody with all your strength. It's not just to put your hand on them. It's to bring them up and lean on them. And it's, it's a forceful thought. Lean on them. And the rabbis point this out. And then you present him to the people and commission him. This is, a, this is an important, forceful event that is supposed to be done publicly. And this person I'm going to call is going to go out before them. I want you to bring Joshua. I want you to bring Yeshua. And of course, it's the same name Jesus in the New Testament, isn't it? The Hebrew Yeshua is the name Joshua, which of course is the name for Jesus. Have him stand. You'll notice that there's a public proclamation here. There's a public commissioning of Joshua. Moses asked for leader. God says, I have a leader. It's Joshua. And I want you to bring, this man has the, has the spirit in him already. And I want you to bring him publicly. And I want you to lay your hand against him. And I want it to be obvious what you're doing. And I want you to commission him publicly. And I want you to notice where he's supposed to stand. He's supposed to stand before the high priest. Eliezer. Aaron is gone. Eleazar is now the high priest. Have him stand before Eleazar and the entire assembly and commission him in the presence. And notice what it says here in verse 20. Give, and this is what it literally says in Hebrew, give him some of your authority. You notice this? This is not a, this is not a finality. This is not Moses, you commission him and, and you go now. But he says, you give him some of your authority. And you do that so that all of Israel will obey him. He is to stand before Eliezer the priest who will obtain decisions for him by inquiring of the urim, that is the urim and the thummon, before the, the Lord. God spoke to Moses as a man speaks face to face, right? That's what it says. God spoke to Moses as one speaks to a friend. When it comes to Joshua, God will speak to him, but he is going to have to consult the high priest. There is a shift going on here in the way this leadership is going to happen. And the high priesthood, the, the, and this is a very important fact, and this comes in play later on. Remember the the, the, the sin of King Saul. He and he. Invaded the office of the priesthood. They were kept separate. The priest and the leader were kept separate. They were not to be one office, except for the Lord Jesus Christ, who was the high priest and who was the king, king as well. And he's to be separate. He's to consult the high priest and the urim and thummim, those jewels, those uh, the things described later on that we, we can look at in the law that would reveal God's will. Have him stand before the people. Bring him before the priests. Make sure they understand, I am, I am the one who is speaking. And when you do this, then at his command, he and the entire community of the Israelites will go out, and at his command, they will come in. And, the, and it comes to the, to the, to the forefront in the Hebrew language here, that he is to lead the people. He is to lead the people. It is to be a follow me, is to become a model for Joshua, follow me. And we'll see later on in Joshua's life that God comes to him as he comes to the, to the plain of Jericho and he looks over that, that first battle and he has that, that picture. of the, We looked at this last year in our morning service. And the man of God with his, with his sword drawn, he says, are you for us or against us? And the man of God, the angel of the Lord, Ha-Malek Adonai says, uh, take off your shoes, you're standing on holy ground. And I will lead you. Don't be afraid. And this is the this is the, the word to Joshua. Fear not. I will go before you. And because of that, Joshua is commanded to lead the people. Follow me. This has become a model. You, uh, the Israeli defense forces, that their officers lead into battle. That's why they lose so many. There have been battles in, in some battles where they have lost entire uh, corps of officers. Because it's it's the way they lead into battle. Follow me. Not go in there, but follow me. And Joshua is commanded to be the one to say to Israel, follow me as I follow the Lord to the promised land and to what lays ahead for us. Follow me. And Joshua is commissioned. But I like this phrase here where it says, give him some of your authority. And so what we have here from this point on until the end of Deuteronomy where we see that, that that Joshua is finally the one who is fully put in charge when Moses dies. That during this time, there is sort of a co-leadership. Joshua is being, we would say, disciple. He has some of Moses' authority. It's not a complete transfer, but there is this process where Joshua is is trained, and Joshua is given authority, and Joshua is put in a place of, of public commissioning, and they continue this until Moses has to be taken away, and Joshua makes that transition and takes the people into the promised land. And it makes me think of the whole concept, this principle that we have of preparing leaders for the future of our ministries. I think this is a concept that is appropriate for this time in the Bible, throughout Israel's history, and for the church today. How do we prepare people to lead? How do we prepare? You know, it occurred to me, I remember one time at a board meeting years ago, I remember we were, at a, we were in the board meeting and we were talking about some people for leadership in the future. And these people were like in their 30s. I remember kind of the concept. Someone said, well, you know, these these guys are really young. They're really young. And all of a sudden, it just kind of occurred to me sitting there, you know, the the people that started our church were in their 30s probably when they started our church, right? And, you know, they kind of grow up before you. And all of a sudden you realize these people now that are in their 60s and their 70s, um, they started this work. They were elders. They were leaders. They were pastors. At that age. But somehow in our mind. This sort of transition. We we, we we kind of keep moving the bar up. To where these people seem awfully young. To be taking over in leadership. And this, this principle here. Of preparing and training leaders. For the future. What do you want this church to look like. 50 years from now. How old will you be 50 years from now. I'll be in heaven. <laughs> okay. Odds are. Um, 50 years from now. Thirty years from now, those children that are in our nursery, the baby that Lamu well, we just gave birth to, they'll be in their thirties. What do you want this to look like? What do you want this ministry to look like? This is something that we we remind, and, and every so often, when someone says, yeah, "I don't like some of the changes," and you know, change is hard, and things change, but uh, do we want our church just to be, you know, continue to be older? Do we want to reach a balanced congregation? Do we want to make a place for young people to serve and to grow in their leadership? What do we want the church to look like? And I think of the Apostle Paul. When we read in, in Acts, where he, where he comes to these leaders who he has trained. We don't know how old they are, but we do know this. Later on, as Paul comes to the end of his life, he writes epistles that we call the pastoral epistles. And they are two particular individuals, Timothy and Titus. And in fact, he even tells them, don't let, Timothy, don't let people look down on you because of your youth. So we know they are young men. And what does, what does Paul tell them? What does Paul prepare them for? These are people that he has trained. He has turned over ministry. He has not just said, you have to wait, 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 wait until I, until I die. He has, he has turned over ministry. They are in charge of things. They are doing things. They are leaders in God's work. And I want you as we close to I want you to go to first Timothy chapter three. This passage is the passage that along with Titus gives us the characteristics that God wants to see in leaders in a church. It's interesting that God God does not give us the the, the um, structure. You know even knows that? God does not lay out the structure for the church. Except there are there are leaders. He gives us the quality of leaders. That's what's important. Some churches Call them elders. Some call them deacons. Some have a board. Some have elected. Some have for life. There are all different ways. Even in today, in our culture, around the world, and in our own shoreline communities, I get together with pastors. We do things differently in our churches, but we can all agree on the qualities of leadership, the characteristics. This is the important thing. And in First Timothy chapter three, we have the we we have, in, in, we have the qualities of leadership. And we have in Titus as well these, these qualities that God wants to have in overseers and in deacons. And we have these these um, these things that God has has put before us. But but as he as he talks about this, and as he and he goes over this, and and reminds what 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 they are to do, I want you to notice how he concludes this. Paul says after he's talked about the deacons and the overseers, trustees, elders words that we use, maybe interchangeably, deacons. When we come to the end of it, and then he says this in verse 14. Although I hope to come to you soon, I am writing to you these instructions, Timothy, so that if I am delayed, you will know how people are to conduct themselves in God's household. That is the church. Which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the foundation of the truth, beyond all question, beyond all question, the mystery of godliness is great. And the apostle Paul lays out for Timothy here the importance of what he has been doing, the importance of choosing people and discipling them and training them and preparing them for leadership and ministry. And I think myself, when I look at this context, given chapter 3, which is specifically given to the qualities of leadership, I think that when he says how people ought to conduct themselves, yes, he's talking about everybody, but I think he really has in mind especially these, le- these people he's just talking about, these deacons and elders, these leaders. I want you to help them understand how they are to conduct themselves. They are to be people of, we read these qualifications, of humbleness, of godliness, not given to greed, Or to to, to gluttony or wine and all these different things. And the husband of one wife and the things that he could. Gentle, hospitable. These characteristics that God wants and asks for in leaders. And, and, And the Apostle Paul says, listen, Timothy, I want you to know this. And I want you to train these people. And I want you to find these people. And I want you to develop this because they need to know how to do this in the God's household. And look what he says about the church. This is very, very powerful. When he says this here, because he's talking about the church. You know, we, we understand that Christ is the foundation. Paul says in the ministry he's laid the gospel is the foundation no one else can lay. Um, we understand that. In this particular case, uh, look how he says this. God's conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the foundation of truth. Listen, friends, what we are as a church how we conduct ourselves, how we serve, how we train our young people, it is important, it matters. It's, it says here it's the foundation and the pillar of the truth. Certainly Jesus Christ is the foundation that no one else can lay. But in a sense, the church is the protector of this message of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the, and the word of God. These are architectural terms. These are terms clearly from the architectural world in Paul's day. The foundation implies the horizontal base. And the pillar implies the vertical that holds it up. It's a metaphor. But taken all together it's this idea that this household of God needs to be solid. It needs to be strong. It needs to protect. It's It's the foundation and pillar of God's truth. The church is important, and friends, as we as we consider this today, I want to suggest to you how important it is of what we are doing of training the next generation of leaders. Not just for our own church, because I think today around the world, literally around the world, I mean, I, my mind could just start going. I could start naming names, and I'm not going to, because I'll forget some. But of, of young people who who sat who. They're in our nursery, in our children's program, here on Wednesday night, in our youth group. who are serving God all over this world today. I'm not just talking about in ministry as pastors and missionaries, but I'm talking about leaders in churches. There are churches all over this country and all over this world where there are godly men and women who are leading and serving that we get a part in training and helping them. And they are helping to to maintain the, the the foundation and pillar of the truth of God, and it's so important. It's why we are so committed at our church to our children and youth ministry, and we have been since day one. I grew up in this church. I know that for a fact. I remember being told, "We are here because of you." I was in junior high when this when we started, and and I watched this building go up. Literally watched this building go up. Did my little part in, in, in it as well. Many of you did a much bigger part. But, but we were told this is for you. And that building over there, that gymnasium and youth center was built. That, that, that could have gone for something for adults. But we did that for the young people because it was important. That's why we're here. And friends, as we look to the future, the mandate that God has given us to train, disciple, Put their resources into preparing the next generation of leaders. And we and I think the Mosaic model is the same model that Paul used. Paul didn't get to a point and say, Okay, I'm done. I'm gone now. I'm, I'm going to die. So you guys find someone to take over. There's got to be somebody out there. No, they, they developed them. They trained them. Timothy and Titus were pastors. They were leading. And, and they were encouraged by Paul. He met with them. He continued, he continued that. They, the ministry was turned over to them. Moses and Joshua. Joshua was a disciple. He was on the mountain of Sinai with Moses. He saw these things. He was in the temple. He was in the the tent of meeting. Outside there were Moses. He was with Moses and he he was prepared. He was trained. And when God said, Moses, uh, I'm going to give him a part of your authority, they worked together and they continued that. So when the time came, it was obvious that, that Joshua, as afraid as he was, of, of, of looking at that, of, of those cities of Jericho, and looking at those walls, you could drive chariots abreast around that city, and there was no possibility, no earthly possibility, of the Israelites breaking through those walls or gates. It was the most fortified city. It was the gateway to the to Palestine in that day, coming from the east, and that city was built for that purpose. And there was not a there was not a human chance. As he looked at that city across the Jordan River, as he crossed that river and looked at it, there wasn't a chance that they could do anything but knock on the doors and hope to get in. And God brought the walls down and said, don't be afraid. Follow me. And you tell the people to follow you. We're going to do this. Friends, it's is important. And I want to encourage you today. What can you do? You can... Kevin asked you to pray for one of our young men today. Write him a letter. You could do that. You can pray for the children and youth in this church. You can get to know their names. You can pray. You can encourage. You can give your resources. It takes money to run the kind of ministry we run. There's no doubt about it. Our, our Wednesday night program is as big as it's been in years. We have 50 to 60 children in sparks. I mean, it's like there's not much more room in there, you know. We've asked for leaders. We've asked for your support. We've asked for your prayers, for your resources. And we are doing that. Because what are we doing? We're training young people. We're teaching them God's Word. We're sharing our lives. We're sharing with our junior high and with our senior high. We're giving them opportunities to serve. Our young people don't just take it in. We give them plenty of opportunities to give and to serve. We come alongside with them. We work alongside with them. We are part of their lives and we have people here and God bless you. Those of you working in our youth ministry right now with Pastor Kevin, God bless you. These are, these are people. I know these people. These aren't people who are doing this because they have nothing else to do. These are people who are working full, full time jobs. And coming in and, and spending time and working and giving other time to work with my grandkids. It used to be my children, now it's my grandkids. They're coming to this. There, there are people here coming on Wednesday nights who are, who are rushing from work uh, and trying to get here on time. And, and, and we have a dinner for everybody. And, and they're serving. Listen, friends, we can do this, but it takes a lot. We need to pray. We need to serve. We need to give. And parents, you need to train your kids. Ultimately, it's your responsibility. You can't leave it to the church. It's your responsibility. And we understand that. and agree with that 100%. We are working with you. It's your responsibility, fathers, as spiritual leaders of your family, mothers, as leaders in your family. It's your responsibility to create a context, an environment where God is important where your children and your grandchildren, where they know that this is an important part of our life. Yes, it's a sacrifice. Yes, there are many places you could be today, but you've come today and your children are here and they know this is important to your family because because it's important to create that context at home and throughout the week of being a part of God's family and of serving. It's a responsibility that we have for every single day we are preparing the next generation of leaders for God's work. And if we don't do it, somebody else will. Moses, the humblest man on the face of the earth. And in that humbleness and in his spiritual wisdom and in his vision for the future for his people, he understood what was needed. He understood the times. He understood what was needed. And he went to God in his humbleness and said, God, Bring somebody. Bring somebody. So these people won't be like sheep without a shepherd. You bring someone to prepare for this leadership. And we need to be looking to the future. And we need to give God thanks that God has enabled us to be a family that is committed to His work, committed to the future, and committed to making it a priority to preparing young people to serve, to lead, and to have the joy, to have the joy of watching them as they are to the, help us to build the foundation and the pillars of the truth of God that he has called us to do. John, Faith, come and share our final song. Kids in the nursery are ready to go have lunch an hour ago. I invite you back tonight as we continue our study from Second Thessalonians. Uh, Bob, I may share we have 65 cards and about $112,000 toward our mission goal of $130,000. So we're getting there, and uh, this a couple more weeks, and we'll take the globe down, okay? Um, that comes down when we hit our goal, or thereabouts. And so uh, let's pray about that. And then Gary, wanted me to mention mission committee is meeting right after church for the interview with the Curacao mission team, the college-age group that's going to Curacao uh, right on Christmas Day this year for their ministry. invite you back next week. It will be our last lesson from the life of Moses and Joshua. And I think it's going to be interesting to see how what we talked about Joshua is called to do this with also the understanding of the disaster that lay ahead of him and yet God calls him to do it. And we're going to learn about more as we wrap up this lesson on leadership in the life of Moses and Joshua. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. Your love, your compassion, your kindness and mercy. We thank you, Lord, uh, that you are a heavenly Father, and we can call you Father. And we thank you, Lord, that you have called us to follow you. And Father, may we not be afraid. But may we, as parents and grandparents, and may we, as leaders and teachers, may we not be afraid to to tell our children, young people, to, to follow us as we follow you, so that we can be an example. We can be a model. And we can show them that, that walking with you is a life that is so valuable and so worth living. We pray as we leave this place today that our hearts will be turned to you as we walk this way and follow you. In Christ our Savior's name, all God's people can say together, Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you for coming and to sharing the to service today.